today is May 31st. Yes. Is that right? 2017. The title of tonight's message is The God of Pentecost. The God of Pentecost. Uh, the reason that we get to talk on this today is today is actually Pentecost on the Hebrew calendar. And so we're going to celebrate that tonight. We've already begun to celebrate it. And uh, we're going to continue to do so. Amen. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 23. You know, very typical place for you to start in a church. Let's turn to the book of Leviticus. But this is going to work well for us tonight. There are seven main major feasts in the Hebrew calendar. Total of seven. This is one that is called Harvest, the Feast of Harvest. It's called the Feast of Weeks. Everybody say weeks. That word in the Hebrew is Shavuot. So you might hear that this is Shavuot that is today. If you are more from a Greek background and you might be more familiar with the term Pentecost, meaning 50th day, this was after the first fruits had been given there during the Passover time. Let's take a look at Leviticus 23. We're going to start in verse 15. Say there when you're there. It says this. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Everybody say seven full weeks. weeks. So seven units of seven is what you're supposed to count off. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. What the offering of the first fruits was back during the day of Pesach, which we had celebrated earlier, right? Passover. During the Passover time, that they would celebrate by offering the first of the barley. Barley was the first grain to come forth. And so they would take it and they would wave it before the Lord, reminding us that the Lord, that Jesus Christ Himself was a wave offering unto the Lord coming there. This is after seven full weeks, so we get to the, to the wheat harvest that is coming here. Count off 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Everybody say new grain. New grain. It's a good time for us to bring something new to the Lord. Something that the Lord has caused to grow in us. Something that the Lord is is doing in us. And we present the wave offering of new grain. It says in verse 17, From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of fine flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Does this verse strike anyone as unusual? Yes. I'm going to read it again. And there's something unusual in it. So let's see if you can catch it. From wherever you live, Bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of fine flour baked with yeast. What an interesting thing. If you're new here tonight, I see some new faces. We, we welcome you here. Uh, this is a crowd that loves the Hebrew roots of the word. We like to get into it and study the word as much as we can. And we understand that that's not a normal thing that you're going to present to the Lord. Most of the time, you're going to present something to the Lord made without yeast. Right? Because typically yeast is going to do what? It's going to symbolize sin. You're supposed to go through the house. What happened as the Israelites were released from Egypt? As they went out of Egypt, what was the very next thing they had to do? They had to worry about unleavened bread in their midst. They had to search things out to make sure that there wasn't any leaven, any yeast left, any of the old way of life. Isn't it interesting here for the celebration of Shavuot, of weeks, during the harvest time of year, They're supposed to make bread and offer it to the Lord as a wave offering baked with yeast. That just struck me as the most incredibly strange thing. I hadn't thought about that and went, wow, wait, Lord, what are you trying to tell us? Why might we have to do something and bake it with yeast? 
This actually brought great hope to me. As we, we are working, we are a church that is serious about sin. I won't even have to say that tonight. Because we're going to focus on some great things that the Lord is doing, and we know that that's the case. He's not advocating for sin here. Why don't you turn, keep your place here and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Now I want you to remember this verse, and we're going to come back to it later on in the evening as well. But Matthew 13, and let's look at verse 33. I was thinking about it, and it's, you know, it's not every time. We know that the preponderance of Scriptures in the, throughout the Bible tell us that yeast refers to sin. And that we're supposed to get rid of it, every last bit of it. But it's interesting that Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 13 and verse 33, and it says this. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked its way all the way through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is actually like yeast is the comparison that Jesus says here. Let's go back to Leviticus 23. I think, that, I think that we get a glimmer here. We get a, a little picture here that this festival is going to be something that shows and causes just like yeast in the, that he mentioned in Matthew 13. It's going to work its way through the whole dough. That the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's got, a, it's got something in it that works and works and works and works throughout the world. It works first of all in us and then it works in wherever we may be. That wherever we live, wherever we are, that we can bring this, this bread made with yeast in this case. You know, I thought about something else as well. <laughs> Gives me hope. Gives me hope that maybe I am not yet quite perfect. I know that's hard for you guys to believe. Stunning, right? Takes your breath away. No, Pastor, no. It, 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 it encourages me that there are offerings that must be made without yeast. And this one, it says that there is yeast there. Not that we are allowing sin to stay in our life, but there's something there that gives me hope that what He's doing inside of me, what He's working inside of me, is worthy to present back to Himself. Amen? Amen. From uh, verse 18, Present with this bread seven male lambs. Everybody say seven. Seven. Wow. Present a perfect offering of male lambs to me, each a year old without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, an offering made by fire an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. Well, there's a lot of offerings going on, aren't there? This is something that was important. This is when we know that we study about Shavuot or Pentecost. These are one of the three main feasts of the Hebrew year. One of the three feasts that men were, all the men in, of, of Israel were supposed to go up to Jerusalem called a regalia feast. They would travel and go somewhere at this time of year, bringing these things to the Lord. Verse 19, Then sacrifice uh, one male goat for a sin offering, and two lambs each a year old for a fellowship offering. Verse 20, The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day you are to proclaim a sacred assembly, and do no regular work. Can I say, do no regular work? Do no regular work. There's got to be something special about this day. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Got an amen on the doing no regular work. Amen. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Regardless of where you live. Look at verse 22. In my Bible, this is under the same heading. When you reap the harvest of your land, 
This is still talking about the harvest. Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Even in the midst of this, as the Lord is setting forth His plan for what Shavuot should be, this festival should be, all these different offerings, multiple offerings, fellowship offerings, burnt offerings, wave offerings, on and on, He's given exact prescriptions. Give seven male lambs. I want a perfect, I want a perfect offering from you on these days to celebrate. You know what he reminds us of immediately? He reminds us that we're supposed to not glean to the edges of the field. That, that may not mean much to us in our day and time. How many of you actually work fields at home? Yeah, very few of us, right? None. Nobody actually goes to work in a field. What does that mean? That means even in this, as it's supposed to be working through the entire... <laughs> This, this kingdom of heaven that's supposed to be working entirely in our world, he's saying, hey, don't forget. Don't forget about other people. I'm giving you clear instructions. It's almost like he's trying to remind us to act justly. And then immediately he tells us to love mercy. I want, I want you to give some space. What, what, what do we do in our, in our world in time? When you talk to most people, maybe not people here, but when you talk to most people, what happens? How are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Hey, man, how's it going? I'm so tired. Really? That's what, that's what we want to have said about our lives? We're just so busy and so tired that we can't do it? The Lord's saying, you need to leave some room so that at the edges of your field, you know why? Because other people may need something. If we exhaust ourselves with tasks during the day, if we exhaust ourselves and just fill our plate over and over and over again, what happens? When someone needs something, we have nothing to give them. We've gleaned all the way to the edges. We've gone, and actually in our day and time, most of us go beyond our edges, right? We, we expand. We have so, much, so many things. We need to get places to hold the extra stuff that our homes cannot hold. We, we, just, we just go more and more and more. If we get a raise, what do many people do? They just live to the new raise, right? I was making it before, but now I get more money, so that means I get to do what? I, I'm going to be just as hard-pressed as I was so silly and and i know that that you guys may have never done that but i've done that before i've done that how was i living paycheck to paycheck three three pay raises ago and now i'm still doing that maybe it's because i don't understand this principle the lord is actually trying to share this with us saying don't glean to the edges of your field why is this important to the harvest he's trying to teach us about this He's trying to teach us how to live our life. He's trying to teach us how to set our heart. He's trying to teach us how to direct our strength. He's trying to teach us and warn our soul about what happens when we don't do this. This is a holy festival to the Lord. And he begins by laying out sacrifices. And then he tells us, be careful that you don't go to the edges of your field. What an interesting thing. We talked about Micah 6.8. Let's turn there together so that we can read it together. Micah 6.8. <clears throat> Micah 6.8 says this. He has showed you, O man, what is good. Isn't that good of the Lord to show us what's good? Not only tells it to us, but He shows it to us. And what does the Lord require of you? Everybody say require. require. It's not that the Lord asks of you. He suggested of you. Be nice if you would comply. 
He actually requires it of us. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We had a, I had a great time on Sunday speaking with the other pastors, with Pastor Eric and Pastor Matt. I have to be honest with you, it's one of my favorite things to get to do when we get to share together in front of you. It's one of my favorite things. I hope it's a blessing to you, but I know that it's a blessing to me when we get an opportunity to do that. It's a unique thing when the, you get to share the pulpit with your best friends. That's a unique thing. It's a blessed thing. What we spoke on on Sunday was trying to get us all to understand to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God is what the Lord requires of each of us. I was thinking during worship, I was just pouring out my heart before the Lord saying, Lord, I love you so much. Kind of got lost for a moment in there, just, Lord, I love you. And I was reminded of a, of a story in the New Testament. The idea is that we love much, why? Because we've been forgiven much. Perhaps sometimes we have difficulty loving the Lord the way we should because we don't understand how much we've been forgiven. We don't understand that what He has done, we focus on the act, acting justly. We've got to love mercy and walk humbly with our God because He has forgiven us of so much. Is that true or not? Yes. Okay, because y'all are looking at me like, yeah, we kind of know that. I, I can't help it. I was overwhelmed during worship today just going, God, I've been forgiven of so much. I've been forgiven of so much, Lord. Therefore, I should love you so much. I, I am nothing. My life is literally nothing without you. How can I not love you with everything that I have? And actually, Lord, I need you to do some things in me so I can love you more. That's my desires, Lord. I want to love you better. I want to love you more. I want to have your presence in my life more. Why? Because you just don't know how much I need him. You don't know how much I need him. But what about you? Do you go around in your life and not realize how much you need this Lord of all creation? It's the truth if you realize that you don't love Him very much. Oh, I love Him, Pastor. Yeah. Does it hurt you on the inside when you sin? Does, does it bring tears to your eyes when you, when, you, when you get an opportunity to feel His presence and His grace and His, His love upon you? Man, it should move us. The Lord tells us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want to focus in for just a second on love mercy. The Hebrew words there to love mercy are to ahab, to love, chesed. Chesed is the Hebrew word for mercy here. I want to read you a definition. This is in the Hebrew 26.17. Chesed, a masculine noun indicating the following. Kindness, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, Love, acts of kindness. Doesn't it sound like I've, I've kind of, uh, I'm trying to get a whole list of the fruit of the Spirit right here. I've got a little bit of, I've almost got the whole list of the fruit of the Spirit right here just trying to define the word has said. This aspect of God is one of several important features of His character. Listen to this. Truth, faithfulness, mercy, steadfastness, justice, righteousness, goodness pretty important word, don't you think? Yeah. This is a vitally important word for us to understand, the said that God's loving kindness, you'll see translations where it might come across as love. 
In this case, it came across as mercy. Sometimes you'll see it as loving kindness. You'll see it translated different ways depending on the translation that you're looking at, but this is all pointing towards a God who is, has a character that shows that He has loving kindness. His steadfast love. It is His character, these things. Let me read you an example from the Talmud. Rav Simlai expounded, The Torah begins with an act of said, benevolence, and ends with an act of said. The Torah begins and ends with this kind of mercy, this kind of love, this kind of faithfulness from the Lord. You know what the two examples he gives are? When God clothed Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. He said that was the first act of said that God clothed them when they had fallen. He did something and began immediately their redemption. He immediately began loving them by showing them and covering their nakedness, covering their sin and shame with an act of His very love. And the last example he gives is in Deuteronomy 34, when the Lord Himself buried Moses. <laughs> do, you, do you get this picture? You get a picture of when we fall, that God's first act of love that we might even understand is that He comes and runs and He can cover us. He can, there was a sacrifice that was done to cover us from our shame and from our nakedness. And then the very next thing, the very last thing that it does is that He... He honored one who had finished the race properly. Amen. He helped to start the race, and God is the one who helps us to finish the race. It's almost like He who began a good work in us will be faithful to see it completed in us. Amen. That the Torah begins and it ends. Amen. I don't know where you are. Maybe you're here tonight and you haven't even begun the race. You have never experienced actually the love of Christ. You are not able to walk with Him. He has not begun that process in you. Maybe you're much further along, but the truth is, is I want to run this race that is set before me. I want to accomplish that which God has for me, that He will fulfill His purpose in me. Psalm 138.8 says that, that the Lord Himself will fulfill His purpose. He's going to begin. Our whole life begins with love from God, begins with this has said, and it's going to end that way. Amen? Yeah. Let's take a look. I'm going to give you another example, one from the Pirkei Avot. Chapter 1 and number 2, verse 2. Shimon the righteous was, the last, was of the last survivors of the men of the great assembly. He used to say, the world is based upon three things. On Torah, on service to God, and on acts of Hesed. This is an important concept. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we're going to look at verse 6, but just for a moment. I hope you don't do like I've done in the past. We're talking on a word in Hebrew, said, His loving kindness. I hope you don't do like I've done in the past and just kind of sit there and go, oh, okay, God's love. Got it. Check. And kind of blow by this idea. You kind of speed past the idea that God is a God of loving kindness. That His has said is the very thing that defines Him. And we're going to see that tonight. As we begin and as we're working on understanding the God of Pentecost, 
The reason that he, we can talk about Pentecost tonight is because he is a God of steadfast love. Look at verse, Exodus chapter 20. And let's, look in, let's start in verse 4. These are part of the commandments that God gave to His people. You shall not make for yourself an idol in any form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love but showing said to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. We have a God who wants to show us love. We have to respond to that love and obey. Let's turn to Exodus 15, just back a few pages. Look at verse 13. This is the song of Moses. It says this, In your unfailing love, in your said, you will lead the people you have redeemed. How is he going to lead them? With his unfailing love. What a great comment. What a great word from the Lord through Moses. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Man, I am ex- that blesses me to no end. God is going to lead me. How is he going to lead me? He's going to lead me with his unfailing love. Uh, I need that. I don't know about you. I need God to lead me with his unfailing love. It's hard for us to imagine God's unfailing love because you know what? Uh, if you're a parent, if you've ever had a two-year-old in the house, anybody ever had a two-year-old in the house? Anybody ever had a two-year-old or a child ask you 14 million questions in a row? Why? 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 Daddy, 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 daddy. You need to stop. I need to change my name. <laughs> yes, I love you, but I need you to stop right now. Right? God can lead us with unfailing love. Man, in His strength, He can lead us and guide us to His holy dwelling. Let's look at another place while we're here in Exodus. Exodus chapter 34. This is actually the verse that was ringing in my heart when I woke up this morning. Exodus 34. And let's start in verse 4. It says this, So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, some translation that says to thousands of generations, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This idea, the Lord, the Lord. It's an interesting thing when the Lord is speaking about Himself. Right? Have you ever heard someone who speaks in third person about themselves? That's an, Wade Sutherland does not like it when people speak in third... You know, That's a strange thing for someone to do. To speak in third person about themselves. But the Lord is giving us something that's incredible here. The Lord. He gives us the witness of it. The Lord, Yahweh. The compassionate and gracious God. Everybody say compassionate. Compassionate. Everybody say gracious. Gracious. 
slow to anger. Everybody say slow to anger. anger. Aren't you glad he's slow to anger? You ever had somebody just blow up at you? You caught them wrong, you said something, they just, the, the force with which they responded to you was, uh, it, it caused your knees to buckle. Whoa, 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 whoa. God is slow to anger. You know what? <laughs> it, that's easy to take for granted. You know why? We, we pay attention if someone gets angry to us, but what happens if someone doesn't get angry? You, you don't notice it. You can be kind of oblivious to what's going on because they're not angry. They're, getting, they're slow to anger. It may be building. We were talking with some friends the other day, and I, I'm not a person who gets angry quickly. I'm a person who gets, start off pretty calm, and then it builds over the course of time. The more I think about it, I kind of mull it over, and I'm like, wait a minute. That should bother me. That should bother me a lot. Now it's all gone, everybody's left, and I'm the one that's angry. It's hours after the thing took place, and I'm like, why? I'm, now I'm angry. Right? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. If you don't understand that you need God to be slow to anger, you don't understand your real state. You have no real concept of who you are and what you are if you don't appreciate the fact that God is slow to anger. Abounding, he's not just slow to anger. That would be one thing. Well, yeah, he didn't get mad yet, but he will get mad. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He's abounding in it. Maintaining love. He's not just full of love, abounding in love and faithfulness. He's maintaining it. What does that mean? He's got it, and he can help you keep it. He's maintaining it. He's keeping it up. He's working with it. Love, he's maintaining love to thousands and forgiving Wickedness, rebellion, and sin. What a great heptatic look at what the Lord is from His own mouth. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love and forgiving the wicked. Wow, that's the kind of God that I need every day. I need this kind of God. Let's take a look in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. This is a familiar verse for our church. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. Amen. He is the faithful God. Everybody say faithful. Faithful. Keeping His covenant of love. love. Keeping His covenant of hesed is what this is. Keeping His covenant of steadfast love of unwavering love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. Isn't that exactly what was echoed or stated in uh, Exodus 20? God will keep His covenant of love to a thousand generations. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. This God-type love is seen as David is looking for someone in the house of Jonathan to bless. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. David asks, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. 
They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Yes, he replied. Verse 3, the king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Not just kindness. When we can get this at work in our lives, when we've allowed God to do this in us, then we can turn around and actually show God's kind of kindness to someone else. And the rest of this story is beautiful because a, a crippled boy, a crippled young man, gets to sit at the king's table just as if he were a son. Man, that, that is a beautiful picture of God's has said. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Let's look at verse 1. Jeremiah 31 and 1. It says this, At that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says, The people who survive the sword will find favor in the desert. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Romans chapter 2 echoes this idea. That we, not, we are not supposed to show contempt for God's kindness and His mercy, knowing that His kindness can lead people to repentance. Can you put the scripture back up on the screen for me? Verse 3 there. The idea that I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Hey folks. If you're sitting in here today, God has desired and He has drawn you. If you're here with us, we have a God who's loved with an everlasting kind of love. It's so hard for us to comprehend. Any example that I can give is really going to pale in comparison because it's an everlasting love. The reason He handles our sin the way He does is because He understands that sin will separate us from that love. It's not loving kindness for him to close his eyes to our state. It's actually loving for him to say, I've made a way for you to get out of the sinful state that you're in and come and be with me. The God of all creation, who needs nothing in and of himself, he's completely self-sufficient. Speaking of self-sufficient, I get in trouble when I'm self-sufficient, right? When I decide that my own arm can do this. When I decide, no, I've really got it. I'm really better off than what I think I am. I, know, I can do this. No, I got it. I, I, I'm that guy who, who tries to be, who is self-sufficient far too much. But we serve a God who is actually completely sufficient in and of himself. He doesn't need anything. And you know what he wants, though? You know who, what his character is? His character is saying, I have an everlasting love that I want to share with you that I want to pour upon you, that I want to give to you in such a way that you will feel an everlasting love. We say that we have an everlasting love maybe for our spouse or for our kids, right? We have no idea. What a, that pales in comparison. In comparison to how much God's everlasting love, He wants to draw us. What is He going to do? He's going to draw us and He's going to start off with loving kindness. He's going to start off saying, hey, let me send you the right people in your life. Let me send even difficulties in your life. You know why? Because it's still my loving kindness. Because if you continue on the way that you are, you will be forever separated from God. That's not kind at all. That is the height 
of a hard heart to know that someone's about to drive off a cliff and go, I don't want to be mean. You're, you're a murderer. Try not to be mean. You're a coward and a murderer. Revelation 21 says those people aren't going to have any place in the kingdom. But what God does is He causes things to happen in our lives. He moves circumstances and He's trying to show us His loving kindness day after day after day after day after year after problem. And think about it. What is our response most of the time? Until God actually gets a hold of your heart, you know what you're doing? You're ignoring Him. You're stiff-arming Him. You're doing much more profane things towards the God of all creation. You're blaming Him for your problems. You're blaming Him for the difficulties that are not. You want to do things your way and you want to blame Him for the outcome. No, let me assure you that God is a God who, is an ever, who has everlasting love and is trying to draw you with His loving kindness. He's trying to get you to understand and open your eyes. The Bible tells us in the book of John that you can't even come to Christ unless the Spirit draws you. Unless the Spirit, as an agent of God's love and His loving kindness, actually allows you to start to move towards Him at all. The fact that you can even recognize that there is a God and He's something more than just a thought in your head is the very kindness of God. The very fact that you can get up in the morning and breathe your next breath is the kindness of God. The fact that you're still here and have a chance to get redeemed from your sin is the kindness of God. We have a God who has, a, is, has an everlasting love and is trying to draw us. What about those of us who have already dedicated our hearts toward Him? He's still trying to draw us with His loving kindness. He's still got an everlasting love for us that we have to not lose sight of. We cannot lose sight of His everlasting love for us. His, his loving kindness in Jeremiah 3 here. Let's look, while we're in Jeremiah 31, let's take a look at verse 30. <clears throat> Jeremiah, th- same chapter, but verse 30. Uh, 31, I'm sorry, 31. <clears throat> says this, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will, be not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. We were just reading about that story, weren't we, in Exodus? Do you understand that God took them by the hand and led them out? What did they do? They listened and they obeyed, and He did all the heavy lifting. He did all the work. Did they have to fight against Pharaoh's armies? No, they just had to obey. He took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. God wants to write His laws, His very instructions to us on our hearts. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Boy, that's a loving God. Knowing how weak and knowing that we still have to be taken by the hand to get us anywhere that we want to go. He will be our God and they will be my people is what it says. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Wow. What an incredible passage. 
Let's turn, uh, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. While we're talking about this subject, let's look at another passage that demonstrates God's loving kindness to us. Ezekiel 36, and let's start in verse 24. Ezekiel 36, 24 says this, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. (laughs) And you will be clean. Everybody say, I will be clean. clean. That's God's design. That's God's desire for you, that He will sprinkle you and cleanse you and that you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Is He pretending like those things aren't there? No, He's acknowledging it full force and saying, I understand this and I'm going to cleanse you from these things. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. Everybody say new heart. heart. And put a new spirit in you. Everybody say "New new spirit. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Anybody have any problems with stony hearts? When we can't admit how sinful we are, when we can't admit that we need God's loving kindness, we've got stony areas in our heart. We've got to remove those stony areas. We've got to let the Lord remove it and give us a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and, my, and be careful to keep my laws. You know what he's going to give you the spirit for? So that you can do what he's told you to do. So that he can move you to be obedient to what he said. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. Do you hear that refrain over and over again? And obviously he's speaking to the Israelites here. He's speaking to a specific group of people. But Ephesians tells us, that the mystery is that we as Gentiles can be grafted in and joined together with them and receive this blessing. I will save you from all your uncleanness. Verse 29. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. And going on and on and on and God continues to bless. Let's look at Psalm 136. Psalm 136. Let's look at verse 1. This is a call and response. A call and response here for... And we we use those terms in in jazz. When you're playing jazz music, you have a call and response. Somebody plays something, somebody echoes something back. It's like a discussion that you're having. A musical discussion. This is exactly what's going on here in this psalm, this song from the Lord. It says in verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His said endures forever. His loving kindness endures forever. His faithfulness endures forever. This is what it says. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great works. His love forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love forever. Who made the great lights. His love forever. The sun to govern the day. His love forever. 
the moon and the stars to govern the night. It's almost like he's trying to tell us something. His love endures forever. The idea that, you know what, I need a Psalm like 136. You know why? Because I can get distracted from the fact that His love endures forever. His ascent is there and I need it every single day. It needs to be bigger and, and stronger than me. It needs to go, it was there before me, it will be there after me. His love endures forever. How often do we think about His love? How often are we concerned with the fact that God, His love, endures forever? He is a God who is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He, this is the God that we serve. This is the God of Pentecost. He was showing Himself in many, many ways, through many, many time periods. He's made Himself known unto us. As, the, as we're studying about Shavuot or Pentecost, there are some passages of Scripture that every year that true Jews read. They read through a few places. One is in Ezekiel chapter 1. And another is in Habakkuk chapter 3. They're talking about the Theophanies, where God showed up and appeared to people. He appeared to them. They read these two passages. <laughs> let's, let's turn to Habakkuk 3 there. Habakkuk chapter 3. And let's start in verse 1. It says this, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timan, the Holy One from Mount... I have, a trouble, I have trouble not saying this like, uh, like I'm from Louisiana. Paran. That's what I want to say. God came from Timan, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah, His glory covered the heavens and His praise fills the earth. This is part of the passage that they read every year on Shavuot. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. This is the famous passage about Ezekiel seeing into the heavens and seeing a throne and four living creatures and wheels within wheels whose rims were high and awesome. Uh -huh. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Let's look at verse 22. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 22. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like an expanse, sparkling like ice and awesome. Everybody say awesome. awesome. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out one toward the other, and each one had two wings covering its body. Let's skip down to verse 25. Then there came a voice from heaven above the expanse over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above, uh, high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. 
They're getting to see Ezekiel seeing something and he's actually looking into the heavens. Moses got to look into the heavens and build the tabernacle according to what he saw. Ezekiel is here and he's seeing into the very heavens. Another passage that they read from, let's turn to the book of Ruth. Ruth. They read in Ezekiel and Habakkuk because of God coming down and meeting with people. Because of mankind getting to see into the heavens. They read through the book of Ruth because it's about the harvest time. It's about harvest. This is what the festival of the weeks or Shavuot is about. Let's look at Ruth chapter 1 and verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show has said to you, May he, the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and now to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. We know this story. It's a beautiful story. I encourage you to go home tonight and read it. It's just four chapters. It'll take you just a few minutes to read it. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. I remember reading it for the first few times and I, I had trouble reading it all the way through without just tearing up by the beauty of what I saw there, of God's loving kindness that was demonstrated. That Ruth said, look, Naomi, I want to go with you. I, wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I, this is, I've decided that I want to go in this direction. What a beautiful thing for us as Gentiles. What a beautiful thing to understand that God can graft in people not many wise are chosen. Not many of noble birth, right? But God can bring in these things. God can bring in these people. And Ruth is a beautiful, beautiful example of this. Let's turn to Ruth chapter 2. Let's look at verse 20. It says this. This is Ruth speaking to Naomi. And Naomi says, The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. This is a story about Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, who came in and showed kindness. Naomi is blessing, the God, is blessing God for him because he hasn't stopped showing kindness. He hasn't stopped reflecting the very character of God. Turn to chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, The Lord bless you, my daughter. Now this is Boaz speaking. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. This is when Ruth came in and laid down at his feet on the threshing floor and asked to be covered by the edge of his garment, his, his, his covering, asking for him to cover her. And Boaz recognizes this as an incredible act of kindness, as an incredible version of the hesed that we've been talking about. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness, this hesed that you just showed me, is greater than that which you showed earlier. The fact that she went to him and didn't run after riches, didn't run, whether it wasn't, she didn't go after other men, younger, rich or poor. What she did was she said, I know what I see God doing here. And so I'm going to show my kindness. I'm going to lavish this. And you know what that causes? That causes, caused Boaz to lavish back kindness upon her. A godly kind of kindness. Look at the next verse. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. That's why I'm, this is such a beautiful story because we realize that Boaz is such a great picture of God himself. You know why it's hard for us to worship the Lord sometimes? Because we don't understand. We don't see the bigness of God. We don't see our own need for him. And sometimes it's easy to sing, yeah, come light a fire in me. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I need God. I need him to come. We cannot be afraid of what's going on around us. Folks, most of us live a lot of our life completely controlled by fear. But how can we have fear going on in our life if we truly understand that our God is a, has an everlasting love and he's trying to draw us by his loving kindness? That should eliminate the fear in our lives. The fear to be truthful. You know why you have trouble being truthful with other people and with the Lord? Because you're afraid. I don't want to tell somebody because if I tell Baj what I'm really thinking, maybe he'll look down at me. Maybe I'll lose favor. Maybe, maybe all these things will happen because I'm afraid of something. I'm afraid of someone else. I'm afraid of myself. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that perfect love does what? Drives it out. When we have this perfect love, this perfect God kind of love at work in us, then we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of what will happen to us. I forget sometimes how, uh, how frail people can be. When the Bible says that we all like sheep have gone astray, it, he, picks the right, he picks the right animal to compare us to. We're scared. We can be kind of skittish. We can put our head down and just eat and not pay attention to where we're going and get lost easily. Like, he picked the right kind of animal. He really did. That, it, it's, it's embarrassing how much it reflects us sometimes. But we have a loving God who made himself the great shepherd for us. Amen. We see this throughout Boaz and the story of Boaz and Ruth. Let's take a look at Ruth chapter 4 just to finish out this story. Chapter 4, and then let's look at verse 13. It says this, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Amen. Drove away all the fear, was the kinsman redeemer, took good care of her, didn't allow her to go hungry, made sure that his, the workers in the field that she was able to glean, he provided for her in every way. He, she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel, which he indeed, indeed did do. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took him, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Golly, what a beautiful thing. You know what happened? When Ruth allowed the Hesed of Boaz to wash over her and she responded in kind, 
You know what happens? It not only fixed Ruth's problem of needing a husband, it fixed Naomi's problem of not having anyone in her line. It's, what does it say? Naomi took a child, let him in line. Uh, the woman, in verse 17, living there said, Naomi has a son. Does she now? Yeah. Because when God blesses us, it blesses those people around us. When He uses and does things in us, you know what it does? It causes a collective victory. I love it when you're victorious. You know why? Because it blesses me. Not because I'm trying to steal something from you. Because we are connected. We have a God who is full of loving kindness. And He's drawing us by that loving kindness. It's a great thing. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. And let's look at verse 16. So if you're a Jew, you read in Ezekiel, you read in Ephacic, you read the entire story of Ruth, every Shavuot, every festival of weeks that comes about. And the other thing that you read is in Exodus chapter 19. Let's look at verse 16. This is when God Himself came down. We read Deuteronomy 7, 9 that talked about God's covenant of love. This is when He actually made the covenant of love with the people. Chapter 19, verse 16 says this, On the morning of the third day, everybody say third day, day. there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. You know why this is an important day and they read it on Pentecost? Because this is the day of Pentecost. This is 50 days after they left Egypt. This is Pentecost. And what is God doing? He is showing Himself. He's showing His loving kindness. He is establishing a covenant of love with them. There was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. <laughs> uh, mayod, if you guys have been on Monday night, it's a mayod kazak shofar. It's a very exceedingly strong trumpet call. In some translations, it actually says, the voice of the trumpet. There are some uh, Jewish thoughts that say that this was not only just the sound of trumpets, but that people heard they were hearing multiple voices, that the voices of heaven opened up here in Exodus. There are actually modern operas. There are modern works of art and of music that show this and try to instill the idea of the multiple voices. It's a common, common thought. We may not uh, be as aware of it, but this idea, very loud trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. What a beautiful thing. The Lord, is, there's smoke there, and God Himself, what did He do? He descended they made themselves ready and God was descending upon them in fire. Uh, the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. There was a word brought forth during our worship time. The Lord pushed the mountain into the sea. God is here and the whole mountain. There's an earthquake that's happening because God's presence is there. When God comes upon something, when God comes upon your life, you can't stand still. 
You're not going to be unmoved by God's passion. You're not going to be unmoved by God's presence. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. The voice of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. They call this day in a lot of rabbinic literature, Zaman Matan Torah Tenu. Yeah, sorry, Justin. That's the best I can do there. They call it the time of giving, the time of the giving of our law. That's what they call Shavuot. That's what they call Pentecost. Now let's go to Acts 2 so we can wrap this up. Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. It says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's an amazing thing that this God of love, that this God of everlasting love, of steadfast love, of an unending love towards us, shows Himself real in Exodus 19, and He does a very, very similar thing in Acts 2. At both, In Exodus 19 and Acts 2, God reaches out to His people. In both places that took place on Shavuot, both were accompanied by God Himself making Himself known. Both were accompanied by many languages, tongues that were there. Both were accompanied by fire that descended from heaven. Both We didn't read the exact verse, but it talked about a multitude, a mixed multitude of people that were there at Exodus 19. And there are people from every nation. There are a a wide group of people that were here from mixed nations as well. God poured out His very Spirit in both places. Let's, Let's look down in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Aren't you glad that God can come and explain something to us? Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. What? That God would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. And Peter continues to go through this. And what he does is he ties in everything about the Jewish culture. He ties in this idea of the harvest. He ties in the God who loves us enough and wants to move. And he said he promised that he was going to pour out his spirit upon us. He recalls the King David. It's in Jewish culture that King David died on Shavuot. In his own lifetime, at the end of his life, he died on Shavuot. Peter reminds them of that. And then you know what he does? Let's look at Acts 2, 38 and 39. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, this promise is for you and for your children who are far, are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Guys, I want to I encourage you in this. That the same God who started off that we read about in the beginning in Exodus 19, the same God who was showing His loving kindness by making Himself part of their life, He came down. It's actually considered in many places in Jewish culture that it was like a wedding ceremony, that God gave Him His covenant, His ketubah, there on the mountain. He gave them a covenant of love he was showering them with His love. We may look at the law and think a lot of things, but the children of Israel looked at it and said, this is God loving us. This is something special. This is God showing us His everlasting love. His undying kindness towards us. What I want to do tonight is here as we get ready to end our time together. I was just moved today by the idea of God's everlasting love. I started off thinking about John 5, about the dependency that Jesus Christ said. I can't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. But you know what that quick me, quickly led me to? Was the idea that I need to be, there's a, a, not only a dependency, but there's a need that I have to be close to Him. There's a need that I have to be intimate with the God of all creation, to have Him close to me. And I thought about it and I went, God, I need your loving kindness. I need your loving kindness to be made manifest in my life. I need your presence with me. We're going to worship the Lord. What I want us to do is to cry out to the Lord and let His loving kindness be felt, let His presence be felt in our lives. There are some of you here, and again, I don't know you, I want to give you an opportunity to have... I'll be up here at the front to pray with you. I want God's loving kindness to be seen in your life. I want Him to draw you in a way that is not just some religious exercise, but it's you getting in touch with the God of all creation. Far too many times we try to do things on our own, of our own strength, of our own accord, instead of just saying, God, I've got to have you in my life. I've got to have your presence real with me, powerful in me. God, I need your presence. And you know what? The Lord, the Lord our God, He is gracious and He's compassionate God. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. Would you stand to your feet with me tonight? Because I want us to get to this point. We should feel encouraged by the fact that we have a God who loves us. We have a God who cares about us. We have a God, He's the one that comes down to meet with us. He's the one that comes down and tells us how to get ready so that He can come and be with us. I want us to pray tonight. If you are a Spirit-filled believer here tonight, I want you to ask the Lord to come and revisit you on this Shavuot to come and cry out to Him and say, God, I need you to wash me again. I need you to fill me again. I need your presence again in my life. If you're here tonight and any one of us as pastors can pray with you up here in the front, if you have not yet experienced that love of God, 
that causes us to want to flee from all sin because the sin separates us from God. We want to pray with you tonight. We want to pray so that God can touch you, that He can move upon your heart, that He can move in your life. 